This is Radio Maria. A very warm welcome this morning. I'm Edmund Zengeni, and this morning on This Life, I have a guest who's come all the way from Norwich. He's uh, Joshua English, resident steward of All Hallows Guest House, which is an urban retreat offering peace, quiet, and tranquility in the middle of the city of Norwich. And this beautiful place where I've had the privilege of staying very recently, where I first met Joshia. Um, it's a wonderful place attached to the church and the, the cell of the medieval mystic Julian of Norwich. Very nice to meet you. Have you on the programme? Brilliant. Thank you so much, Eddie. And it's really great to be here. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. And um, tell us, how long have you been uh, working at the uh, All Hallows Place? So I arrived um, at the very start of 2022, um, right at the tail end of a big refurbishment. So the guest house hadn't quite opened. But uh, and then we've been open as a guest house um, for about eight nine months now. Okay, great, great. And uh, how did you get? How did you fall into it? Um, well, that's a good question. Actually, um, it's one of those God incidences. I think um, I was living and working in Birmingham, um, where I did um, my masters in medieval studies. But for anyone who knows Birmingham at all, there's not a lot when it comes to the Middle Ages that's left. So I was really looking for something that would feed my love for the mi Middle Ages and medieval history. And I was just keeping an eye out um, in some of the great cathedral cities of England um, because I thought actually that might be a good way of bringing in my faith and my love of history. When all of a sudden, um, unexpectedly, a job came up working for the Julian Shrine in the centre of Norwich. And Julian was actually someone who I wrote about in my dissertation, um, absolutely loved her work, and really influenced by her revelations. And um, the thought of being able to work there, being able to work in hospitality, working... Um, sort of with guests on the front line of people coming to know more about Julian and visit the city of Norwich sounded brilliant. Great. So it just kind of came up out of the blue. Absolutely. And right. if, if I if I hadn't been checking the week, you know, that week, if I checked a week earlier or a couple of weeks later, it would have passed me by. Yeah. Or maybe someone else would have exactly. grabbed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. God, last one man makes other plans, as they say, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so um, I've got a great passion for Julian of Norwich, her writings as well. They certainly changed you know, how, I, how I saw the faith. What was it that attracted you so much to Julian's writings? One of the things I really liked, so I was, I was doing a dissertation on the relationship between medieval mystics and Christ and the way that Jesus gives them a platform to be someone that most women in the Middle Ages didn't have the ability to be. And I wanted to know what was what what was it that Jesus offers them that allowed them to speak out in a way that um, they often couldn't in society. Right. Yeah. And when I came to Julian, it was just it was almost like reading someone from today. Um, that relationship mm. with Jesus was so real and so authentic. And I thought actually it chimes so well with my own um, journey of faith and with so many others that I've met. And um, I just didn't expect that for someone who lived, you know, six hundred more than 600 years ago, um, to connect so deeply on that level um, was just amazing. Mm. Yeah, she was quite a revolutionary character when mm. it came to um, spiritual writings. Could you give our listeners who maybe are not so familiar with Julian uh, a little context of who she was and when she was? Absolutely. So um, we don't, unfortunately, we don't have enough information about her as, as much as most of us would like. But what we do know is she was born in 1342. Um, we know she was born somewhere near the centre of Norwich. Um, we don't know her family background, but it's likely she came from a sort of a 
what we would consider today middle class kind of a gentry mm-hmm. um possibly a merchant's family mm-hmm. um and we we know that um when she was 30 years old she was um under a, a life threatening illness they thought um everyone around her thought she was going to die they brought a priest in to say the last rites and in that moment she had this incredibly powerful um set of revelations um visions in her mind and it was it was those revelations which didn't couldn't um uh they stayed in her mind and she over the next 30 years she wrote them down um and that's what has survived as a book so she was she's the first um woman writer of a book in english that we know of and shortly after the revelations although we don't know when she moved to become an anchoress um in st julian's church in norwich and that basically means you get walled up inside a small room attached to a church and you spend the rest of your life in prayer and solitude your only access to the world would be a little window under the street and you'd have a window to see the mass um being said and to see the eucharist um and that and that was more or less your only interaction with the outside world. Wow. So we we know she lived there until a, probably about 1420. So she was quite old um for the time. Um she lived probably into her 70s. Right. Um and that's where she spent most of her life. And it's a very turbulent century, wasn't it? It was, yes. Yeah. So you had the black the the first two waves of the black death were early on in her life. And it it may be that um what she fell ill with was something related to the the great plague. Um we don't know for certain but it was certainly it would have affected her and all the people around her in a big way. Mm. Do you think she might have been married and been a mother and perhaps before she became a, an anchoress? There's certainly um there's certainly the possibility of that. We don't know. Some some academics have speculated that she had a family and they were lost in the in the plague and that she that loss sort of um she internalized and it was part of what drew her to an, an isolated hermetic life. Mm. But um we unfortunately other than the only information we have about Julian um is from a few wills of later in her life mm. people um people making bequests on their death um to support the anchoress mm-hmm. in St Julian's but we don't know anything um concrete sadly okay okay so um it was also quite a turbulent time in the catholic church in the uh, the 14th century right yes yeah so we're not um not a uh, a million miles away from the start of the reformation so you had a lot of turbulence with lollardy and you had a lot of concerns about different um strains of belief that were coming out and um Wycliffe um and the the concerns about the bible and and in the vernacular in England would have really informed um certainly Julian's lifetime um those debates would have been would have been big um on her vision okay okay great I remember when uh, I first came across Julian and uh, I was in a bookshop in Rome and there was an English section of the books and uh, picked up one on mysticism I think it was um Bernard McGinn is it mm. yeah and there was this section and I was just flipping through it it's a Julian of Norwich and the first thing I thought was who's he <laughs> and I thought okay no it's not so far from Cambridge maybe um maybe I should pop up and I was um completely in awe, in awe of um of the book it felt like the book was reading me more than me reading the book and um just an amazing way that she expressed her her love for God and God's love for us can you uh, elaborate on that for our listeners 
Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things that draws people to Julian is the way she's able to encapsulate the the absolutely radical nature of God's love and the all encompassing nature of that love. And in some ways, I think it feels very contemporary because certainly in the last century, it's something that the church has talked about more, society talks about more. Um, and the thing that interests me is that um, I don't actually think she was an anomaly. I think we just sometimes have a misunderstood nature of of, of faith in the Middle Ages. And so Julian brings this, this powerful truth about Jesus that I think we can connect with because, of course, God, God says he never changes. And so, you know, that love that we see and experience today was just as real for Julian. And so one of the things that makes her quite a powerful testimony is that because she lived through such a difficult time in her own life um, and society around her, she's able to... In, encapsulate the love of God in her writings despite the suffering that she goes through. And mm. she she's able to to look through the suffering that she experiences and to find that that love of God that endures and is is eternal. Mm. Um, and it goes beyond just, you know, kind of it's not a, a warm, comforting blanket so much as it is just a life changing sort of all all encompassing love that wraps and enfolds us as she writes, um, that God enfolds us in love. Um, but it's not a, a meaningless, trite sentimentality. It's no. A, it's a real life-changing... Yeah. Um, That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So her work was written down. How how safe was it for a woman to be writing in uh, the 14th century, these, this radical theology? Well, yeah, it's an interesting question because... Some people, I think they, they feel that what Julian was, was saying and what she, what she was doing was sort of, it was quite bold and quite brash because it, it could have earned her, you know, the label of heretic or something along those lines. Um, and it's difficult to know because, of course, there were women in Julian's day just down the road from um, where we live, um, where Julian's church is, is a, a pub called the Lollard's Pit um, because um, at a similar time they were burning um, Lollards at, at the stake there, right. um, only 10 minute walk down the road. Right. So, of course, the, the danger of being called a heretic was always real if you were going to speak out um, anything that, that could have been misconstrued um, mm -hmm. as, as sort of not um, canonical theology. But I also think um, that Julian, I don't think Julian was afraid of what she was writing because she was so convicted that it was true. And so I think she was willing to open up and to, to share what she believed she saw because she was just utterly convinced this is who God is. Mm. So I don't I don't know that I I personally feel a sense of um, hesitation in her writing. I feel that it's very confident. And so I think she knew that whatever the risks were of speaking out, they were worth it to tell the truth. Um, and she was very convinced by what she was writing. And of course... We don't have the original manuscript that she wrote, so we don't know what form that took. Um, the earliest manuscripts that we have come from um, at least 100 years later. Um, and, and in fact, they survived by something a bit of a miracle. Um, so we don't know what that journey looked like from the time of Julian writing mm -hmm. until our discovery of it um, 120 years ago. Um, but between that time, um, certainly... Um, you know, God's been at work with the manuscript um, sure. through the centuries. So w once you'd written down this uh, this book of, of divine revelations, um, it didn't get distributed widely at the time. 
it kind of went underground, didn't it? As far as we know, um, there was no, it was not sort of popularly read mm -hmm. um, among um, her peers or among others um, locally to her. So whether she was ever attributed to it um, widely, popularly in her lifetime, we don't know. Um, but certainly we don't have the number of manuscripts to suggest it was it was a widely read spiritual text. Got you, yeah, right, um, right. So do you think, was she an educated woman? Because she also said this, this woman of uh, few letters or something like that. She, she does describe herself as an unlettered creature. That's right, and, yeah. And um, I think it's difficult to know because um, there was a trope in uh, medieval writing of sort of that sort of self-deprecation of, um, especially with um, with women, it was it was fairly common to sort of put yourself down in your writing as a as a an, an expression of humility, I sure. suppose. Um, so it's hard to know. Um, it's certainly she. Um, we have no reason to think that she wasn't able to read and write, um, given that she was very possibly from a, sort of a, a merchant's family. Um, she she may well have been involved in the accounts um, of the family. They, the, the whole family is often involved in these things. So she may well have been taught letters. Um, she may be referring to the fact that she doesn't read or write Latin. Of um, course, which was, which, the uh, which was the educated language over there, yeah. Yes. So it, it may be that for for her, English didn't count as sort of an educated language. Um, Great. All right. Interesting stuff. Me and Josiah will be back after this little music break. And I think it'd be great to tell the our listeners, share with our listeners how she was rediscovered and popularised in the, in this century. So why don't you uh, tell the listeners what you've lined up for us? Well, we've got uh, one of my favourite songs from the last year, um, which is George Ezra's Anyone For You. And it's such a catchy, poppy tune. Um, I think you you'll go. love it. That's what we need this morning. Baby, let me be your life. I can 
love you I could be anything you want of me And in the darkness of the night Baby, let me be your light I can love you This is Radio Maria. A very warm welcome back. This is Just Life. I'm Edmund Zengini. I'm here with Josiah English from Hallow's Guest House, the urban retreat offering peace and tranquility in the middle of Norwich. And it's right slap bang next to the Church of Julian of Norwich and even her cell. And we've been speaking about the writings of Julian. And uh, that's a great tune you chose well, thank you. Yeah, yeah that's uh, it says what it says on the can, you know. That's what it says. Brilliant, and uh, I have to listen to that again and get um, get the kids listening to that one. So, can you tell us about how um, did uh, Julian of Norwich's writings be- become popular? What was the discovery? Was there a, a major turning point in history when people said, "Hey, we've got something quite special here that's been buried and lost and hidden for centuries." So one of the um, one of the things about Julian's book is we've actually got two versions of it, and in most um, I think all the translations that you can buy off the shelf, you've got the short text and the long text. Right. And we had we've had um, the short text is actually the oldest manuscript that we have of it, and it's basically a summary, um, the cliff notes, if you will, of of what she later goes on to write. And we don't know if if she wrote that herself or if she dictated it to someone. But it, it just offers um, a snapshot of 16 different revelations, um, which um, in the long text, she goes on to much more detail, much more theological um, context and much more um, theological detail. Um, and the, we, have, we have a much older manuscript um, from not long after Julian died um, that is of the short text. Um, so we knew that she existed. We knew that she was... Um, a woman writing in Norwich around this time. We didn't know much else, um, but it wasn't until, I believe, the end of the 19th century that um, the manuscript for the long text was discovered, I believe, in a monastery in France. Wow, okay. Um, and it had been, we don't know exactly how it got there, um, and it's a post-Reformation manuscript. Right. So it's, again, there's a bit of time between that and when it was written. We're talking at least 100 years. Um, however, we do have reason to think it was largely unaltered, um, and that's it's that long text that suddenly opened our eyes to what a a brilliant writer she was, and b how significant um, having the first book um, written in English by a woman is, um, and and to to know while we don't know much about her personally, but to have so much rich theology um, in from, the text, yeah, from what um, she felt at least and experienced. Yes, yeah. So that was in France at the I end, believe yes, the I believe it was the end of the nineteenth century. century. So not that long ago, really. No, and and so it's it's sort of frightening to think about because you know even 150 years ago we didn't know about Julian we didn't know about one um, 
Marjorie Kemp, another great East Anglian female yeah. writer. And so without these, you just wonder how many others were missing um, and who else we haven't haven't discovered or who we may never discover if it's been lost um, forever. Wow. Wow. Um, so who do you think first helped popularise her writings? Um, the one who, who made her, her work popularly known, um, she was translated by a woman called Grace Warwick. And um, Grace discovered her, her text and, and translated it from the Middle English. Right. Um, and it was, I believe, the early early years of um, 1901, possibly. Right. Um, around then that that book was first sort of brought to light. So and, the long text, which was lost, was finally translated from the Middle English yes, into modern right. English. Yes, only around 120 years ago. Right. Um, and it was that that um, suddenly captured people's imagination. Mm. It's incredible that she was literally unheard of disappeared in the middle of exactly. oblivion kind of thing yeah we had her name we knew someone lived sure, there we knew nothing about her she could have been anyone mm. I, I remember i was quite impressed when i heard pope benedict the 16th did a talk on julian i thought okay good if it's good enough for him Absolutely. And, and thomas merton had a, had a huge um affection for her as well mm. so when you know you've got these spiritual giants that are like tipping their hat to her, you think, okay, there's, there's got to be something here, right? Absolutely. And the thing about Julian is that she manages to bring different um, strains of Christianity together because you find a lot of people from the Pentecostal world um, connect with sort of her, her visionary, her sort of emotional connection. But she also brings together Anglicans, Catholics and others um, because of her rich theology and the traditional um, context in which she lived. Um, and so she manages to bridge a lot of gaps no, it seems that way, definitely, yeah. What's the Ang uh, the Anglican connection with Julian? So I feel like we don't really deserve her because um, <laughs> it's mostly Henry VIII. Um, uh, it's his fault. Um, right. So um, the, the Church of St. Julian, um, which is right um, just next door to where I live now, um, it's one of the smallest churches in the city, but it's one of the oldest. And um, so it goes back, um, I believe it was founded in the in the 9th or 10th century. Right. Um, so it, it goes back a long way. And it, um, so, of course, it would have been Catholic up, right up until the Reformation. Um, but at that point, um, the the Anglican Church, when it was formed, we took it over and we've we've held on to it ever since. OK, but you're looking after it nicely. We're doing our best and we and we're as uh, ecumenical as we can. Exactly. Which was great because when I came down to visit um, Oh Hallow's guest house, it was just before Lent, one of the little prep up before I dived in and I thought I'm going to go up to Julian's place I got the okay for my wife and everything so he'll be a couple of nights away just to recharge the batteries and I was sitting in the, the cell and um, I think it was 10 o'clock on a Monday a group of um, worshippers came one, two, three, four, five there was about seven of us and they started uh, reciting the rosary and I said okay but are you, where are you guys oh we're, we're Anglicans I said, I'm a Catholic and we said, yeah yeah that's fine and uh, so that was quite a treat I must say. So, yes, she does bring people, which is a great thing, right? Absolutely. I think it's one of the strengths um, of Julian, because even though even though it is an Anglican church, even though um, it, it, it's owned by the Anglican church, it's actually all done in a very um, Catholic style, and it has been for a long, long time. Yeah, well, like I was saying before we came on there, sometimes you guys look more Catholic than we do, so... <laughs> great. So let's talk about now some events that you've got coming up Uh this year, because it's 650 years for the anniversary of the first showings that she that she received. Yeah, so this is a really significant year in the life of the Shrine. So um, one of the exciting things about Julian is that she writes down exactly the day, time and date right. um, when she was um, given the revelations. 
And so we've got this unusually precise um, opportunity to commemorate that. Um, and so it was the 8th of May um, in, in 1373 when she had this near-death experience and when she was given these 16 revelations of Jesus. And um, so this year marks the 650th anniversary since that happened. And we've got events throughout the year, but the big week um, to be aware of um, is, is starts on 8 May and, and runs until the end of the week. Um, we've got events from... What have, you, what have you got coming up? Um, well, we've got a range of online events for anyone living further afield, but we've also got um, one exciting event um, I'm keen on. is uh, They're going to be trying to perform Vespers in Latin, as Julian may have heard it, um, in her cell. And they're going to be, that'll kick off um, our, our week of events. And um, so you, you can sit in the church and you can listen to a choir sing Vespers in much the same way that Julian may have heard herself 650 years ago. Very cool. Um, and we've got a range of, of other events. We've got pilgrimage walks. We've got um, guided tours. And we've got um, our big um, lecture, which is um, happening on the 13th of May um, on the Saturday. Um, that will be with um, Professor Barry Windiat, who wrote um, the popular... Um, he translated the Oxford classics of Julian of Norwich. Um, so he's, he's going to be talking to us. And we've got other lectures throughout the year as well. Sounds awesome. I think I'll be a, I'll be a part of that some way. Somehow, um, I'm definitely going to be coming back soon uh, for a visit. It's such a wonderful, peaceful place, and you've got a wonderful library there, haven't you? Yes, yes. So we've got the we house the Julian of Norwich Reference Library, which um, our goal is to have anything um, uh, that's been written on Julian um, as much as possible. Right. Um, so we've we haven't updated a lot through COVID, but um, so there's a couple of titles that slipped us by, but we'll be updating that in the next um, few weeks. Yeah, it's, it was like an Aladdin's cave of medieval mysticism in there. Absolutely, it's, it's if, fantastic. You, if you want yeah. to know about Julian, that's the place to yeah. go. Yeah, and um, and also a lot of other spiritual writers are found in there of the of the same of the same stamp. And you've got that lovely there's a lovely communal room there where you can take a book and chill out. Fireplaces there. Absolutely. So um, community is kind of at the heart of what we do at um, at All Hallows, which is the the accommodation branch of the Julian Shrine. And um, so we've it's a former convent. So the building itself um, was was built around the idea of community originally. And so there's a there's a beautiful sitting room with a log fire you can sit in. Um, and we often um, will sit around um, with guests and pilgrims talking through the night. Um, and uh, it's a, a lovely, quiet space. There's no, you won't find TVs in All Hallows. It's a place to get away, a place to find um, tranquility and peace. Mm. Um, and it, even though we are in the centre of the city, only five, ten minute walk from the cathedral and the market, you've got this beautiful the churchyard garden, which has been saved um, through the centuries, mm. and that um, is next door to us. And it, it gives you this lovely, secluded, sort of um, isolated retreat feel. Yeah, I couldn't have put it better myself. Definitely. Great. OK, well, I'm going to put on another song here. What's your uh, second choice here? So I'm going to go out on a limb here. And, uh, this is from one of my favourite albums, um, which is Mumford and Sons Delta, which um, I think just reflects their sort of their spiritual background um, and their, their questions. Um, really interesting. All right. Here we go, folks. This is Mumford and Sons and Beloved. Never seen you uncanned before 
This is Radio Maria. Very warm welcome back to Just Life. And if you've just joined us, we've been having a very interesting talk with Josiah English, who's resident steward at All Hallows Guest House. Um, and a fascinating place, a real urban retreat and a, a very special place for reflection and just contemplation and being on your own and having a book and uh, being next to this wonderful special building which is the, the church of julian of uh, of norwich and uh, right next to her to her cell where she lived and uh, and wrote her her book we were just speaking um while the music was playing that you said you you've got a degree in your first degree so that's a bs three years in wales in medieval studies that's right, yes. and you never came across julian of I, norwich embarrassingly and, and surprisingly no um and of course um you know there's there's a there's a lot of people who wrote and lived but you would think um she's quite a significant part of the canon um, absolutely yeah i remember my mother took us to took me to um norwich must have been about 30 years ago something like that and i'm surprised we never went there Mm. So um, yeah, well, I mean, I've got friends who used to come to Norwich all the time, and after I discovered Julian, I, I assumed, of course, why would you go to Norwich if you don't go there? But um, many of them, you know, couldn't even find us, and it's it's a sad fact of sort of the the way World War Two bombing took place. Mm. That we're we're now a little bit out on a limb, 
um, in in Norwich terms, it's still quite a small city, but mm-hmm. um, you've got a lot of a lot of bombs sort of destroyed some of the area around there, and and it cut us off ever so slightly mm. from the very centre. Mm. Um, and if you've been to Norwich, of course, we've got dozens of medieval churches already. So it's mm. um, for many people um, one's much the same as the next, but um, we've got something very special. Um, but very, not everyone's got a Julian of Norwich exactly, there. Right? Exactly, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, it, it'd be nice, you know, it'd be nice for us to be slightly more visible, but because of the buildings, until you sort of stumble across St. Julian's, you almost can't see it from a distance. But I kind of like that, really. It kind of adds to the charm of it. That it's just off the beaten path, literally. It does feel just like a off. secret. It no. does, and that's what, how she lived her life, in mm. secret with God and uh, completely uh, withdrawn from the world. Um, I loved it, and it was a, it's a very practical place as well to get to. I walked there from the station, um, it, it, that's true. It's only off. it's only a short distance walk yeah. from either the coach station or the bus. I mean, uh, the train station as mm. well. Um, and um, I remember you. You know, it's very well organised, folks. This is a very nice uh, place. It's uh, well structured. And I remember you gave me like um, a plastic key to get in, right? That's right. We've got all the technology here. Yeah. So we've got um, you got a key card, um, hotel style key mm. card to all the rooms, which allows you um, easy in and out. Yeah, because um, a lot of these monastic places are a bit, you know, not well, as organised exactly. as say. They've got I mean, the spirituality, that's, that's but maybe true. not the, the so infrastructure. We've, right? we've been really, really fortunate, actually. Um, the whole the whole building, um, it, it went underwent a huge refurbishment um, that just finished um, a, a sort of May last year. Mm. So we've got... Um, everything's brand new. Everything you you get, I think you get a chance um, when you and when you start afresh. You can keep things clean if if they started clean. Yeah, you can, you can always it's stay easier, bright, bright and new and fresh, yeah. um, which is really nice. You're not coming into any sort of gra- you know grandfathered mess. Yeah, um, absolutely. No, I had a, a wonderful time, and I highly recommend it to uh, to all our listeners. So, how many how many rooms do you have? So we've got eight eight guest bedrooms, um, and there's a there's a double bed um, in six of them. So we can we can host um, sort of varying numbers depending on who's coming. But we one of our one of our um, our key philosophy points is um, we we want to offer a fair price to anyone coming. Um, so we whether you're booking a single um, or a double room, if you're on your own, you don't pay twice the price to book a double room. Um, so you can get um, a nice big room um, without um, price gouging. Um, so yeah. we offer, we try to offer decent prices, whether you're traveling on your own or with someone, um, trying to offer offer something fair and affordable because we feel what we offer is important enough to be able to be accessible um, as much as possible. Mm. No, I thought it was very reasonable. My person, it was great. And uh, breakfast in the morning, lovely big, big kitchen. That's right. There's a state-of-the-art um, ref- uh, refectory and self-catering kitchen. So you've got, um, if you want to go on a budget, you can do all your own cooking, um, and it's it's a great way to build a bit of community, depending on who's there. Mm. Um, and it's a lovely open, bright space. Mm. Um, yeah, I met a nice couple from uh, Boston, um, in America, um, who are, I think, almost came specifically for. But, yeah, so I you, think Julian was on the top list. Absolutely. So while we're here, we go there, there, and there. It was, you know, it's it's a big it's a big thing um, for a lot of Americans because Julian's quite well known there, and mm. you do, do you get know why coming. she's quite popular there. Um, I think I actually think some of it was um, the way she chimes with a lot of Pentecostal um, beliefs, which is quite a big um, strain in America. And mm. so you've got this. She, once people realised she resonated, you then got two or three fairly influential writers talking about her. Okay, and it kind of spread from there. So she becomes part of um, the canon. And of course, um, being in America, they don't they don't have um, their own medieval writers. So of course, if you're studying English um, at university. Julian's often someone they bring in mm. because um, she is an early woman 
Um, so she she ticks a lot of boxes in terms of diversity and interestingness, but she's still writing in English. Mm. And so you, you can bring it in as part of an English um, literature course. Mm. Um, so I know of a lot of people who came across her while studying at uni. And of course, she'd be very popular with um, people of religious people themselves, exactly. monastics, you know. And there's, the... and there's quite, a, you know, the Christian community is quite lively in America. And so you get a lot of people who are fascinated by what she said. Mm. And, um, and of course, there's always, you know, some a bit of the exotic you know being from such a, a long time ago and living such an unusual life closed off from the world um she's fascinating mm. Mm, absolutely how do you think she lived her life in there on a practical day-to-day -day basis she, she would have had a maid someone to i well yes yeah, so i normally and um this perhaps re reveals something about the state of the world you couldn't be an anchoress um if you were destitute because you had to be able to pay the church enough rent to cover a maid um a servant who could cook you meals um, and you would have had a little sort of window to pass the ne necessary things through. Um, some people, there's a lot of fascination about Julian's cat that goes around. Um, there isn't, unfortunately, any direct historical evidence for Julian's cat. Right. Um, but I know that if I don't admit that, of course, she could have had a cat, um, that um, I'll get in all sorts of trouble. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Because so she's often depicted with a cat, isn't she? She is. And it's, I suppose it's a nice way of, of humanising her. And um, mm. there is there is a medieval um, a rule for anchoresses that says you can't keep any animal except a cat. So she would have been allowed one. Um, but we don't have any uh, historical evidence either way. Right. And it's tr it's, it's, is it true to say that she also gave counsel through one of the windows of uh, of her cell to people who were maybe looking for spiritual direction. Absolutely. So at, at the time um, when Julian lived there, the actual the road we think um, went past her cell. So and it would have been a fairly sort of busy thoroughfare into the city. And so you would have had people coming um, for advice, talking to her. She would have been relatively well known. People people were quite fascinated with the idea of talking to someone living in this way, and they and they valued her advice. Mm -hmm. And one of one of the most exciting sort of discoveries in medieval English um, history, I think, was when in 1934 we discovered a, the text of Marjorie Kemp. Right, yeah. And she actually records a meeting with Julian. Right. And you get this almost almost unique opportunity to meet two historic people and, and a re recording of their conversation. Yeah, no, it's pretty um, wild. It's, it's like crazy. being yeah. there. Yeah, I, I got into Marjorie Kemp through Julian of Norwich. Because I was fascinated with Julian and, and the, the, the historical period. So I thought, okay, who else was around? And Marjorie Kemp was often mentioned. And then I discovered the book of Marjorie Kemp that was discovered yeah, in the 30s. I think we're looking for a ping pong ball. Exactly. They, right? were, they were looking for something in some one of these old big old houses and they discovered... A um, masterpiece like that just fell out of... Absolutely. It's, behind um, of, it's shocking. Yeah, it is. And that was in the yeah. 30s. I think 1934. So, um, again, not that long ago. Exactly. Mm. Um, and that, again, that's one of the big sort of... It's a it's a really important way of just um, solidifying, you know, Julian's place mm. in her time. So we know that she was well known enough for people to come even as far away as Kings from Lane, Kings Lane, yeah, um, to to talk to her to seek her advice. Yeah, there were very, two very different characters, weren't they? They were, <laughs> yes. I mean, I think if I was going to go to one for spiritual advice, it would It'd be, be Julian. Julian. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, you're listening to Radio Maria. We're here. And having a very interesting conversation about uh, Julian of Norwich and the, the shrine of Julian of Norwich. And what's your next choice of music? Well, so this, this is actually my very favourite artist ever. She's a wonderful folk um, musician and um, well-deservedly um, in the, the, golden, uh, the golden hall of uh, folk musicians in England. All right, let's give this a go.
cannot read them for the future's gone all behind me Through the world I am wandering, wandering A soft breeze blowing This is Radio Maria. Very warm welcome back. This is Just Life you've been listening to. And I've been here with Josiah, English resident steward of All Hallows Guest House, the urban retreat offering peace, quiet and tranquility in the middle of the city attached to a very special and sacred place, the Shrine 
of none other, Lady Julian of Norwich. She hasn't been canonised yet, has she? So she's not an official saint, she, even though she's very, you know, venerated and uh, encouraged to read by... Like a, controversially, the Anglican Church canonised her in 1980. Oh, right. Can you guys um, do that? Right. So, well, yes. <laughs> I mean, but... In, Generally speaking, most people attached to it don't don't accept that. So they they'll they'll call her Lady or Mother Julian, but they won't they won't refer to her as a saint. And it's confusing because the church where she lived is Saint Julian's, but it's actually named for a much earlier saint, um, long before Julian ever lived there. Right. Yeah. It's such a fascinating history. It's a bit like going through archaeology you know discovering things that have been lost for hundreds of years and and uh, realizing how special and how important and how much they can add on to the the tradition of uh, of the faith it's uh, it's truly amazing that we can still discover these things i think i'm not sure if you were on air or off i think it was off you were saying who knows how many other jewels are, are lost out there um, waiting yes, to be discovered or never will be discovered who knows absolutely great so um, you've come up here with your wife, Joe, right? That's right. Yes, um, I've uh, we've we've been married nine years now, and we and we moved together. I had to I didn't have to convince her, I suppose. She was quite quite ready for a change, but um, I had to convince her to live in a communal house, right? Uh, okay, and uh, and uh, put up with sort of all the all the inconveniences that sometimes means. Okay, well, shout out to Joe if you're listening. I hope you are. Either to the Bree broadcast or, or or live, and you've got a dog as well. That's right, we've got a Pembrokeshire corgi. She's very popular at the guest house. Um, you're Great. always assured of a friendly cuddle if you <laughs> if you book in. There you go. Always lovely corgis. Always always a pleasure to have around. Great. And um, she, so, so so you work together. Well, she's not. Well, officially, no. Um, I try to keep her uninvolved because she's not on the payroll. But <laughs> of course, um, she's always involved in the welcome and just the. Um, and she's an important part of sort of the the vibe and the life of All Hallows. But um, she actually works um, at a at a church elsewhere in the city, which has a, a big homeless ministry in their cafe. Oh right, um, great, right. So she does a lot of good work there, but she's not actually um, involved with St Julian's formally. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Okay, great, great. So um, on a more practical level, can you tell our listeners about your website and perhaps how to book if somebody would be interested? And I highly recommend it because I've been there myself and I will return. And especially if you're in and around East Anglia or even further afield, it's uh, it's not a difficult uh, journey. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's um, our web address is allhallowsnorwich.co.uk. Um, so our rooms, they start at £40 a night, um, but we do do discounts on top of that for multi-night stays and for week-long stays. Um, so it's we try and make it affordable. But one of the one of the things that we're also quite keen on is um, doing things as environmentally friendly as possible. So finding ways of being plastic free, of using um, fewer chemicals and just finding a way of being more natural and traditional, which we feel is in the spirit of Julian anyway. Um, and mm. her, her love of sort of the natural world mm. that she God's creation. That she shares. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah. Um, like I said, uh, I highly recommend if you want a little break. I. For, I had the good fortune of having the, the Julian of Norwich room, which looked straight over Absolutely. to the Absolutely. It's in my opinion, it's cell. our best room. It's mm. a lovely, um a lovely, quiet, calm space and it looks out, it's got the best view of the cell. Um but we, we've got four garden rooms, so they all they all overlook the garden, they're much quieter, and then we've got um slightly cheaper rooms which overlook the road, mm -hmm. um, which aren't quite as restful, but even so, because we're an old convent, I often find that people they remark on a feeling of peace, um, even from the moment of entering, because of the decades of prayer and, and worship and um, that has taken place um, 
since the building was built, really. Um, and you've got that. And people, people even with no connection to Christianity, have shared the the sense of peace and the the, the rest that they've had, even from just staying one or two nights. Mm. No, well, I certainly got uh, a lot of benefit from it. It recharged my batteries with, for coming home to three kids running around. Um, apart from the 650th anniversary of all the special events that will be commemorating that, what would you say was a usual schedule there um, in and around the Julian Shrine every week, let's say? So there's, it's, it's a very active parish. Um, so we've, we're part of a benefit with one other um, church about five minutes walk up the hill. And between the two churches, we've got a daily mass um, said every day. We've got the morning and evening office said in St. Julian's. Um, two or three times a week, they do a morning mass in the actual cell of Julian, and so which is a, quite a special way of commemorating that. Mm. Um, so there's there's a fairly regular series of services and events you can get to um, on the site. Um, we host things as well, and there's a lot going on in the kind of in the. We've got our visitor centre, which is also a community centre. So you've got... Um, yeah, tell, tell our listeners about the, the visitor centre there. So it's got information about Julian. You can go and ask questions, have a cup of tea, have a cup of coffee. There's um, there's a, a lovely gift shop, bookshop. Um, mm, with it is. Pretty much anything you could want um, on written on Julian, mm. um, as well as um, there's a, a, a lending library there as mm, well. Because so I thought there was only the lending library. And then I the last day... Couple last hour, I think I discovered the the, the shop, which was exactly, another yeah. beautiful so we've, space. We're, we've with, got more than we need, really. Um, yeah, overflowing. No, it's, yeah, uh, no, yeah. it's good. It's like yeah, it's like the like the hub. It's what it should be. It's the it's everything. All all things Julian from uh, from all her books to to pens and cups, right? Absolutely, you can you can take home a tea towel if you like. Yeah, I will do next time. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks, we're coming towards the end of our program, but I really like to thank you for coming all the way down from Norwich this morning and uh, giving us your time. We really appreciate that. And I want to, on behalf of uh, everyone here at uh, Radio Maria, I want to wish you and the Julian Shrine all the very best. Well, thank you so much. And it's been really great to be here. So thank you uh, for the invite. Well, maybe we'll do it again. Take care. Cheerio.